Andrew getting me his uh, copy of Knowing God, but it's an, it's an older edition that I have, and my illustration is not, uh, not in there. So we'll have to just figure this out as we go along. I want you to turn with me to um, Ezekiel chapter 37, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 10. As we continue in this series on the Holy Spirit, we have uh, seen how the Holy Spirit um, gives uh, to those who are dead. He gives rescue. um, He gives rebirth. And today we're going to look at at a text, perhaps one of the best-known texts in the Old Testament on the Spirit's renewing work. The Spirit's renewing work. I grew up um, hearing a song, uh, Dem Bones, Dem Bones, Dem Dry Bones. You ever hear that? Uh, the, the, the foot bone connected to the ankle bone, the ankle bone connected to the leg bone. Hear the word of the Lord. Uh, that was actually written by the first um, um, black executive uh, of the NAACP back in the middle part of the last century, or early part of the last century. And it was... Uh, for some reason, a famous, a famous song that uh, many, many, uh, when I was growing up, uh, used, to, used to hear. Uh, so we're going to read about uh, Dem Bones uh, today um, in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 10. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in uh, the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones and he led me uh, around among them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and you will cause flesh and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. And I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. This is the word of God. As we consider the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, um, we can be lulled to sleep and I think misled to think of the Spirit as pretty harmless, kind of like a cloud 
it's immaterial. You can't hold it. It doesn't really do that much. When I was growing up, there was, uh, there was a, a cartoon, uh, Casper the Friendly Ghost. Some of you may have seen that. And this ghost was, was very benign and had, a, had sort of a, a cute smile and, and, and really, really was a way to think about ghosts as being so weak and benign, there's really nothing to them. And some people can think of the Holy Ghost similarly. But we have said that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is actually considered and pictured in the Scripture as air in motion, breath in motion, and often violent motion, a derecho storm, Holy Spirit. And both the Hebrew word for, uh, for uh, breath, spirit, and wind, and and uh, ruach and the, uh, the the Greek word pneuma have that same meaning: spirit, breath, wind, and all of that pointing to the power of God at work. The Spirit is making things. The Spirit is giving life. The Spirit is changing things. He is holy. This derecho of God, and you never. Lie to the Spirit. Ananias and Sapphira found that out. There's no pretending before him, the Spirit of God. And we must take caution. Secondly, we must take caution as we continue this series of seeking to know God the Holy Spirit. Uh, J.I. Packer put it this way, that there is nothing so spirit-quenching as studying the Spirit's work without being willing to be humbled and changed by Him. We're not here to be fascinated with a, a teaching on the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say about tongues, for example? Uh, what, these are not questions that should preoccupy us. What should preoccupy us are Holy Spirit, questions that deal with the Holy Spirit in His life-changing and life-renewing work. How do you get to know the Spirit? What does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? That, that's a direction for us that should occupy every moment of our lives what does that even mean? Keep in step with the Spirit. Are we to pursue a feeling? Are we to pursue some kind of experience? There was a, a great stir down in Brownsville, Texas some years ago. It was called a movement of the Holy Spirit in a somewhat charismatic context. And one thing that was boasted of in connection with some of those uh, events in that town were that people uh, even approaching the building where the, the Word of God would be taught, presumably, and where, where the Word would go out, the Word through whom the Spirit works, it was considered a great victory when people were writhing on the floor outside the center in the, par in the parking lot uh, because they were so struck by the Spirit, that, my friends, be very suspicious 
of anything that is hawked as a ministry of the Spirit, but is separated from the Word of God. Be suspicious at best. I want to bring to your mind uh, some of the uh, events uh, that uh, J.I. Packer reports uh, from uh, 1908 of some mission work that was going on in Manchuria. And he was describing uh, the, the uh, very stolid or impassive or, or passive, rather, um, Chinamen who were in their, in their Christian community um, uh, asking for God's help and prayer, uh, repenting of sin to one another, uh, doing behavior that, that would never occur inside of, of a public meeting in Manchuria. People weren't wired that way. And there was a group of 60 um, Presbyterian missionaries from, uh, from both Scotland and, and, uh, and Ireland who were observing this behavior and they, thought it, was, they thought, it, thought it was either put on or just very inappropriate. After all, they were a group of 60 Presbyterian missionaries and had never seen anything like that. And then towards the end of the day, the end of, the end of this period, uh, to a person, each one of them were recognized. There is no other explanation for this than that the Spirit of God was powerfully at work. There's no other way that Chinamen, and we might say any man or woman, would act in such a way apart from the Spirit of God. There were three things that uh, J.I. Packer drew attention to. First of all, that, uh, that there, was, um, there, there, there was a very specific identifying of sins that they were committing. Uh, very, very specific. Uh, that the Lord, secondly, was overthrowing their tendency to self-righteousness. They weren't there to protect their reputation or defend themselves in any way. They were, they were self, they were, they were becoming, um, conscious more of the righteousness of Christ than preserving their own self-righteousness. And, and, and the last thing was they were unable not to confess. They had to be honest with each other. And that is a ministry of the Spirit. We could put it this way, that the Spirit intensifies the Christian life so that we, we treasure more, more deeply and richly the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ and we see more intently our own need for Him and our praise rings up with great integrity and glory because the Holy Spirit is changing us in our worship of God. The Spirit intensifies the Christian life. I want to make a, uh, three points uh, in this morning. The first is that it's only the Spirit that overcomes death. We see this in the first few verses of Ezekiel chapter 37. Only the Spirit overcomes death. Of course, the Lord brought Ezekiel to this valley uh, full of bones. Uh, it is certainly in a vision. And the Spirit led him there among the bones. And notice that the Spirit had him walking back and forth through, uh, through the, the, the piles of bones stacked in that valley. 
And the text m- makes it clear that, that there, were, there were very many of these bones. It was a great number of bones. And, and secondly, that they were very dry. They were old. Lifeless for sure. All the flesh picked off by the turkey buzzards they had in their area. And then bleached by the sun lying there in that hot Middle Eastern land. Very many. And very dry. And absolutely no possibility of life. And the Lord asks him this question, can these bones live? Well, what was Ezekiel to say? This would be a ludicrous question if anyone but God were asking it. He knew enough not to say, no, they can't live. He would like to believe that they could live, that God could do that. But he answers, oh Lord, you know. He does not presume on God's mercy. He understands something of the sovereignty of God. He hopes for it. But he doesn't know for sure. Now, what is this, what is this vision about? Uh, verse, verses 11 and following uh, tell us that, that really it is, it is a, a prophecy of the death of a nation. That's really the death that is being spoken of. Israel was now, at this time, they were in exile in Babylon. Uh, the people were displaced. We can commiserate with them somewhat as we watch what's going on on, on TV and on, in our YouTube clips these days, things happening in, in Ukraine. But these were God's chosen people in whom, in whose midst the Shekinah glory of God had dwelt. But the Shekinah glory had, had departed the temple and it was like a new bondage. It was a new Egypt. And they needed to be delivered, and, and, and there was no end in sight. And so they were, they were utterly hopeless. Our hope is lost. We are cut off from God, verse 11 says. There is something of the hopelessness that others of us can feel, that other writers of scriptures have felt, A psalm says, my life is spent with sorrow, my years with sighing, my strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. My bones waste away. No hope. No sense of future. And then there's a call to action in verse 4. All right. You see the dead bones before you. You see that they are lifeless. Stand among them, Ezekiel, and declare, prophesy to the dead bones, hear the word of the Lord. He doesn't deal with Ezekiel's doubts. He doesn't deal with Ezekiel's hesitancies. He doesn't relate to to Ezekiel's fears. He says, speak Prophesy to the dead bones, hear the word of the Lord. Say to the dead, listen to God. Then there is a very clear and specific response. 
God says in verse 12, I will open your graves. I will raise you from your graves. I will give you the Holy Spirit and I will return you to your land. That is the specific historical context of of these words. But it is also certainly a picture of God saving people through the blood of Jesus Christ. The body that hung on the cross from which blood was drained to bring new life to his people, to rescue dying, dead and dying people, and to bring us into the coming new Jerusalem. And we might look around in our world in this day at the dead people walking. And we might ask that question as well. Can God raise the dead today? The hearts of many in our region, in our, in our area, uh, are cold. Our hearts cold to God. Um, many, you, you hear, um, speaking of themselves as being superior to God. We have a better sense of morality. How to treat people with greater justice than God did. Imagine. Others just completely disinterested. Nothing against God, but he's irrelevant in our day and age. And, and we would say, and do say, following the scripture, that, that you are dead. And that's the truth. You see, Jesus didn't die for sick people who just needed a little bit of a spark. Good people who just needed a little bit of a nudge to move in the direction of the Lord. He didn't die for those people who just needed a spark. He died for people who were dead, lifeless, inert, nothing there. And we may ask, is that the answer? The answer for a world that is embroiled with such moral chaos. And, and the, in, in, in our day, these days, in the fight in, in Ukraine, an awful situation across the world. And we might ask, can these bones live? There are some who answer that question in a very presumptuous way. Uh, people who dangle health and wealth before those that they speak with. A gospel that certainly people respond to this. Actually, you see it all over Africa these days, which is one of the things that Dr. Gardner is addressing even today, likely. Many people say yes to that kind of God. A presumption. It's probably not what's going on with us. For us, that question, can these bones live? perhaps raises something else. It may raise doubt. It may raise the question, well, I suppose he could if he wanted to, but does he really want to? After all, he saved us. Maybe it's just us. But the promise that, that pulsates through this text is, I will cause breath to enter you and you will live, and it's only the Spirit that can overcome death. Well, the Spirit... The Spirit works through the Word, we see, in verses 10 and following. So, I prophesied as I was commanded, verse 7. And as I prophesied, 
there was a response. There was a sound. Behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone uh, to bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them. The skin had covered them. Uh, The bones had come together. Sinews had grown. And God packaged them with skin. Dem bones. Dem bones. Dem dry bones have come together. Here in the word of the Lord. But it goes on to say, but there was no breath in them. You had bodies inert lying on that, the floor of the valley in Ezekiel's vision. Put back together, but with no breath. So in some way, there's a two-stage renewal going on. Um, What's going on here then? G.I. Williamson, in his treatment of this text, uh, explains, and and, and certainly on one level this is the case, but following 70 years of exile in Babylon, there was an incremental return uh, to uh, the Promised Land, to Israel, to Jerusalem. They came in in groups, not all at the same time. They, They dribbled back to Jerusalem. And there was hope in that, but it was not the full hope realized. While that's important for this present context, I think it's also maybe take this a significant step further. And to say, well, this reminds us of the creation, doesn't it? It reminds us of God putting together out of the dust of the ground, forming the body of Adam. And then a separate operation, first with the hands, And then the the breath that God, his powerful, life-giving breath, the breath of the Holy Spirit that came into Adam and he became a living soul. So the Spirit is forming here a new Spirit-filled community. Well past Israel now, the church of Jesus Christ, even as Jesus himself was filled with the Spirit, the body of Christ now filled with that same Spirit to become a living organism, Spirit-filled organism for the glory of God. And yet, it is also the case that many today seem to have their, their bodies partway put together but without the breath. There is this rattling, this activity. People who have, who have had some encounter with God may be very busy in the things that they start doing. They start doing their religious things. There is a change of behavior, but without the breath of the Spirit in them. There is a form of godliness, Paul says, that is deadly, a form of godliness that but denies its power. And then there is this speaking. This speaking that is no longer directed to the bones, but directed to the Spirit of God. There is a prophesying to the Spirit. Fill these people with your breath. Let me put it this way. In order to see a revival among God's people, and an ongoing renewal of God's people, We prophesy to the brain. We pray to the Spirit. 
claiming the promises of God. We wrestle with men for God, but we also wrestle with God for men. We do that as we pray. You might start with yourself. I have heard many people, and I, of course, struggle with this myself at times, that, that our walk with God seems more ritual than, realist, than real life. More ritual. This is what we do. We can get up and come to church with hardly giving it a thought. That we're meeting the Holy God. We hear this language about keeping step in step with the Spirit, and it seems odd to us. We haven't really thought of that. What does that look like? What is that about? Well, when we, when we deal with those, that kind of sluggishness, prophesy to the Spirit. This is how you prophesy to the Spirit. Spirit of God, give me my birthright. Spirit of God, give me my birthright. The ministry of the Spirit, the Spirit of adoption, whereby I cry, Abba, Father. And this is what I, I cry out to God, that, uh, that you would grant me to rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. 1 Peter 1. How about that for a prayer? Work in me, Spirit, so that, so that I would rejoice with joy. Not having even seen Christ, I would still, in, in my difficult times, when the pressures are around me, that I would rejoice with joy that is, that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Oh, to be able to act this way apart from, apart from our circumstances controlling us. We pray for our loved ones, children who wear the name of Christ but walk away from him. Family and friends who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, we prophesy to the Spirit, and we pray and we don't give up. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are Spirit and they are life. I believe in the Spirit. I pray for the souls. Spirit, invade the souls of my loved ones. And maybe this morning... Maybe this morning you need to hear. Even as we were singing that hymn, come to the Savior, He stands ready. It's not what you bring to impress Him. You come with open hands to the Savior who gives you the grace as you look to Him of mercy, of forgiveness. Because this message also goes to those who are outside of Christ. We, we long for an awakening in our land. And so we again prophesy to the Spirit the big promises of God. Isaiah 62, for example. The promise is, do we expect God to do anything in this world? Or is He done? Do we expect God to do anything? You take a passage like Isaiah 62. Take God at His word. He says, righteousness, the righteousness of my city will be bright to the nations. My righteousness will be displayed among my people, among the nations. That's why we pray for the church in Ukraine right now. 
that the glory of God, the righteousness of God, the beauty of God will be bright even to the marauding nation that's crushing them for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah goes on to say, Watchmen, give him no rest until righteousness prevails. Who's he speaking to? The watchmen, those called uh, to, to care for the city. You are watch people of the church of God. Give him no rest. Give God no rest while you, while you offer up your requests and your prayers to the, that his promises will be kept, that he will keep his promises. God, we're taking you at your word. Pour out your spirit, your life-giving spirit to dead people, we pray. And then finally, the Spirit renews His church. Again, through the Word, the Spirit renews His church. And these are some thoughts, again, from Ephesians chapter 4. Renewal renewal starts at home here in the church of Jesus Christ. Very simply, what the Spirit, the Spirit starts, He finishes. What the Spirit starts, He finishes. He starts His work in regeneration. That is the ignition switch that turns on the life of God in the life of the believer. Uh, That is the beginning of the Spirit's life in us, that ignition of regeneration. We are now able to see, we are now able to choose, we are now able to believe, we are now able to obey this, this work of the Spirit. What good is a car if it doesn't run? You can start it, but it won't keep running. It's no good. So there's secondarily, there is the ministry of renewal. That is the Spirit's ongoing sanctifying work in the believer's life. Isaiah said, or, said the Lord will raise up a host of people with the Spirit's breath in them to serve the Lord. That's what he says. This is a renewal project. Their lives were disjointed. Your lives have been disjointed like mine. Like bones scattered all over the valley, the Spirit renews us and brings bone and bone together, connecting our sinews, putting flesh on us and breathing in His very life. What regeneration starts, renewal continues all the way to glory. What regeneration starts, renewal continues all the way to glory. And yet, Ephesians 4 gives us great reason for caution, for humility, Watch out. Be attentive. You may grieve the Spirit. What does your catechism say? What is God? God is the Spirit, including the third person. God is Spirit. Infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And yet... He can be grieved. Even the Spirit-inhabited person can grieve the Spirit. This is a mystery. I know whom I have believed, but I'm not sure how it all works. The Spirit chooses to live inside of us and actually feels what we feel. He feels what we do. And he may be grieved. He is grieved by our sinful choices. Ephesians 4.30 Do not grieve the Spirit of God. And that is right in the context of that passage about speaking the truth. Speaking words, not corrupting words. 
rotten words that come out of your mouth and degrade the people around you, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. Does the apostle really mean that? I mean, how often we could speak for a half an hour and never say one word that is worth repeating or believing and has no help for the people around us. You could probably talk for a whole day and not really help anybody. That grieves the Spirit. Instead, we are to say to speak only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion. So much is a waste of time. So much is very little thought of even helping of helping other people. But all of this, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's what God wants. And less than that, my dear friends, grieves the Spirit. We want to beautify Jesus in the way we speak. We want to beautify Jesus in the way we speak. Well, think about, think about these lessons that we learned from the Manchurian Church. First of all, the Holy Spirit enabled them, or by the Holy Spirit, they threw off all, all their self, not all, I suppose, but they threw off self-righteousness. That, that is a sense of complacency. And, and really, self-righteousness, promoting ourselves, thinking about ourselves, what, what we do, instead of thinking about the mercy that comes from Jesus, that's the source of so many of our spats. We put down one another. We are defensive when we are spoken to, and we give crass and, and really immature backtalk as we cling to our, right, our self-righteousness. The first thing that happens, according to this observation of the Spirit's work in 1908 in Manchuria, is that you lay aside your self-righteousness in order to glorify the righteousness of Christ. That's number one. So often we act like the adulteress in the Proverbs, who, who the adulteress in the Proverbs, who who will have, have sexual contact with someone she's not married to, and then she will have a bite to eat, and she will wipe her, her, her lips with this napkin, having done nothing wrong. Her self-righteousness is so blinding, just like ours often can be. That's one. Pray, that the, pray these lessons from the Manchurian Church, the Holy Spirit, Enable me to throw off my self-righteousness. Second, um, a second observation Packer found there that, that found the spirit very specific in the conscience. Very specific. In, in other words, there are particular things that I have done that I need to take responsibility for. We, we sometimes have what you might call the sense of floating guilt. You just sort of feel guilty about a lot of stuff. You can't really identify it. So you just sort of mope around for a few days. That's not helpful. <laughs> when the Spirit's at work, he, he gets down to the specifics. So give me the Holy Spirit sensitivity I need in the words I speak and the way I conduct myself. Words that pierce the soul of the hearers. Help me to see the evil of my angry retorts. How seldom I build others up for Jesus. Those are pray to see those things. That's the spirit at work in this new creation life. 
and then and then the spirit the third thing Packer points out from the Manchurian church the spirit um, makes people uneasy until they confess their sins in other words they can't not do it they can't not confess their sins they got to go to each other you got to you got to make that path on the via della rosa and say I'm sorry <laughs> the spirit does that in you uh, some many years ago, I don't know when. Many years ago, um, a church made um, application to come into the OPC, and and it was through the Presbytery of the Mid Atlantic, where I was on the Home Missions Committee, and and as the chairman of the Home Missions Committee down there, I was the point guy to handle this church coming into the OPC, and. Um, it was a big deal. I mean, they got into the New Horizons before they had even gotten into our presbytery. It was kind of a famous thing. Forty-five, I think, forty-five kids were baptized on a particular Sunday morning as they had come and embraced the covenant of grace. And it was a, it was a beautiful thing. I, I loved going there. The pastor was impressive. He was a good preacher. He would preach out of his Greek text. In that tradition, he would sit on a bar stool just in the front of the group and you'd hold your Greek text in your, in your hand, and you'd just exegete it and talk about, you know, give, give your sermon that way. That was impressive! And, and I mentioned to him at one point, when I heard about a dispute that was going on between him and a, for, and a, and a, former, a former leader in the church who was no longer with the church, I said, well, this all looks good, but let, let's get together with this, this friend and, and talk, talk to him and find out what happened from his perspective and where things are. I thought it was a good question, well phrased, with a good attitude. I thought it was. Perhaps it was. But he, he lit up and he said, we're done. And they never came into the OPC. And I've never seen him since. But I got a phone call from him maybe four years ago in which he apologized for his attitude for the way he conducted himself and for the way he was not submissive to the brothers. Every one of those three points that we learned from the Manchurian church was exhibited by this man. I thought he was a good man and an impressive man. Truth of the matter as he came humbly confessing his sins, he was a great man, worked on by the Holy Spirit. He was a Holy Spirit-filled man. And so we wrap up, uh, we wrap up Ephesians 4, and we say, not this, Holy Spirit, not this. Not, 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 not this, not verse 31. Not the bitterness and the wrath and the anger and clamor and slander. Put, I put all of that away along with all the malice. Don't take that from me. And instead, each one of us needs to hear and love and follow. As my friend did, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave us. This is what it means to be a great man or woman or child in the Spirit. Holy Spirit, work in us, we pray. Amen. Father in heaven,